0: Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now, here's this week's message.
1: The first reading is uh, Jonah 1, and you might find it on page 752 in the pew Bible. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amati, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and much a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and lay down and went fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing, sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is the country? And of what people are you? Jonah said, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made all the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon us. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as I pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. May God out a blessing for the reading and hearing of this word. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray together.
0: Oh God, you cast us out upon the waters of our days, into the very heart of the seas of life. And we wonder sometimes, how shall we ever find our way back to you? Draw us in, O God. Even when our lives are ebbing away, help us to remember you, to hear you, to pray to you, to be changed. For our salvation surely belongs to you, O God. These words, this moment, they are all a gift of your grace. For all that we are about to receive, may you make us truly thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On June eleventh, 2021, just off Provincetown, a scuba diver named Michael Picard survived being nearly swallowed by a humpback whale. That's a thing that really happened. He told the Washington Post, well, I was thinking, this is how you're going to go, Michael. This is how you're going to die, in the mouth of a whale. But after about 30 or 40 seconds, he was spit out onto the surface, and his crewmates and folks on the boat all saw him. They saw it happen. They knew it was a whale. And all he suffered were a few bruises and a dislocated knee. And uh, when he was asked, you know, how this would affect him, he said, "Uh, being nearly swallowed by a whale, I'm going to go right back to diving as soon as he healed up. And so, for the past 17 months, I have been waiting for the opportunity for the Jonas story to come along so I could share that story with you, because I love a good dive story. It wasn't three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, but it really happened. And uh, the takeaway of that story, I think, though, is, is that like most scuba divers, Uh, Michael Picard is very even-keeled about the whole thing. In fact, uh, this was not a particularly life-altering event for him. He was just going to go right back to doing what he had been doing. It did not fundamentally change him as a person. It shows that even something as big and wild as a -a once-in-a-lifetime event, finding yourself inside of a sea creature, that's not even enough to make someone change. And, of course, that's Jonah, too. After three days and three nights, after he prayed to God in thanksgiving for the deliverance that he was hoping to receive, Jonah is spat out on dry land, and he goes to the city of Nineveh that God told him to go to. We're told that the city is three days' walk across. Jonah walks only one day into it, though. His heart is clearly still not into this whole mission to Nineveh. He doesn't make it all the way to the city center. He he gets in there and he just says seven words, only seven words. He says, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now Jonah, son of Amittai, is described as a prophet. But those seven words are a far, far cry from the hundreds of verses we see of words proclaimed by most prophets. And yet, those seven words are all that it takes. The entire city of Nineveh, the whole city from the king all the way down to the livestock in the barns, is uh, described as repenting, as adopting signs of mourning. We hear the king say, who knows? Maybe God will relent and change God's mind. Who knows? Well, presumably Jonah the prophet would have known, except he never mentioned anything about repentance or forgiveness or any of that stuff. All he said was, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And yet, even though he didn't say it, that's exactly what happens. God changes God's mind. God relents. God repents from the destruction that was planned and chooses life for the people of Nineveh instead of death. And our second scripture reading picks up in the last chapter of the book, chapter 4, after that. Let's hear what God is saying to us here today on this Stewardship Sunday. But this was all very displeasing to Jonah. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord. Is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish in the beginning, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bean curd plant and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bean curd plant and it it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked again that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But again, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you are concerned about this bean curd plant for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned then about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? And that's the end. When it comes to this story of Jonah, there are lots of ways we can look at it. I tend to like to look at it as a parody, a satire. Taylor Swift just came out with a song called Anti-Hero. The chorus goes, hi, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. That's Jonah. He's the anti-prophet. He's the only prophet who actually successfully gets people to repent and then gets angry about it. It's, it's foolish. Another sort of point of entry for this story is, of course, his willful disobedience at the beginning of the story. Uh, for a quick lesson in geography, from where Jonah lives, Nineveh is to the west, or to the, to the east, and Tarshish is across the Mediterranean to the west. So when it's, when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, He literally goes in the exact opposite direction. It's a a wonderful directional metaphor for what it's like to disobey God. This is the theme that uh, has often been picked up uh, throughout history, but it's best captured by the uh, character Father Mapple in Herman Melville's Moby Dick uh, in what I think is one of the best sermons ever written by a fiction writer. Father Mapple preaches this story of Jonah as a lesson on the disobedience of humankind He says, as with all sinners among men, the sin of this son of Amittai was his willful disobedience of the command of God, which he found a hard command. But all the things that God would have us do are hard for us to do. Remember that. And hence he oftener commands us than endeavors to persuade. This is the theme of this liturgical Sunday, Christ the King's Sunday, that it is Christ who rules. It is Christ, not the powers or the principalities, nor the circumstances we see, but Christ who has authority over all things in the world. And it is Christ who commands us to do hard things, to feed the poor, to visit the imprisoned, to love our enemies, to befriend the stranger. These are hard things to do, and we have lots of examples of people failing to do them to see. But of course, as hard as it is to live completely in the way of Christ, it is also foolishness, like throwing yourself overboard on a ship in a storm kind of foolishness, to try and do otherwise. Disobedience and foolishness are certainly central themes of this text. But the other important theme is repentance, to repent, to change one's mind. The theologian John Calvin says repentance is nothing less than the reformation of one's whole life according to the law of God. Repentance is about a change of one's life in the most literal sense of that word. It is not about changing your actions or changing your attitudes, but changing your whole self. And the people of Nineveh are described as undertaking precisely this kind of repentance, this change. This in spite of the fact that their ne'er-do-well prophet doesn't even mention anything about what God requires of them. But then in Jonah, we do not see any repentance. Like that scuba diver, he just goes right back to being bitter and angry, obstinate, stubborn. I don't know if there's anyone here who can identify with that. The amazing thing, though, is that we see him doing the bare minimum, and yet, in spite of this, God still gets it done. Jonah puts in the bare minimum, but somehow achieves the maximum result. And what are we to make of that? Well, that is where the sovereignty of God comes in. There's another story that always comes to mind when we uh, hear this story of Jonah about another person in the Bible who takes a nap during a storm. Once Jesus was taking a nap in a boat as he was crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and a storm came up, and like Jonah, he just kept sleeping away one of his disciples came though and and woke him up and said teacher teacher do you not care that we are perishing and what did jesus say to his disciples then he said oh you you who have little faith he calls he says this to the disciples a few times he says uh, when the disciples fail in their attempts at an exorcism and they ask jesus what they did wrong again jesus says you had too little faith. But then Jesus says something really interesting. He says, if one has faith, just the size of a mustard seed, it is possible to literally move a mountain. Indeed, he says, with faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. Things like Big things like the repentance of an entire city or or being swallowed by a whale. These miraculous events, these miraculous changes seem to require something big to happen. But Jesus reminds us that faith is often a matter of small things. It's Jonah's, Jonah's little proclamation, those seven words, that make a big change. His prophecy is short, it doesn't even mention God and it's delivered with half a heart and yet. It moves the entire city. And I think that's a lesson in how the grace of God moves in this world. That it doesn't always come in grand gestures or ten-point plans or audacious new ventures. What we we hear in Jesus' words is that it's small things, the little hopes, the little prayers, that build up the foundation for the impossible possibility Of abundant life. And I think that's what we must keep in mind on this Stewardship Sunday as we wonder about what comes next for this church, as we wonder about what comes next in our own lives. I am more and more convinced as I look forward that the way forward is about going back to the basics, to doing the little things right. And I want to point out just two of those little things that we can do. One of them is obvious in this season. It's Thanksgiving, after all. Jonah, again, is the anti-hero insofar as he is the champion of ingratitude here. God saves the whole city and Jonah says, hey, why'd you do that? God provides this bean curd plant and takes it away, and Jonah says, Hey, why'd you do that? He tends to focus on what did not happen instead of what does happen. And I think it's easy in our lives to, to adopt that attitude of disappointment when we focus on what we do not have. But of course, every disappointment is also an opportunity for gratitude. Indeed, every breath we take is an opportunity to breathe in life and breathe out a word of thanks. This story shows that God cares. God cares about every single person in that city, every single animal even in that city. God cares for all of them. And when someone cares for you, the appropriate response is gratitude, thankfulness. And yes, it is good to take one day a year to say what we are thankful for, but how much better is it to practice that thankfulness in all those little moments all throughout our lives? Getting back to gratitude, which is always available to us, but perhaps that we need to practice more wholeheartedly. That's one way we can discern what comes next. And it's connected to the other little thing, a little thing that we have to hold on to. It's just a little thing. Hope. The world is a, is a ruthless and difficult place. We live in times when many people believe that they cannot make it, that there is no future worth having ahead of us. And it is true, there are big problems in the world today, but those problems seem even bigger when we do not have hope. Hope shouldn't just be Pollyanna-ish talk about how things are gonna work out. Hope is hard, it's hard to hope sometimes, that is true. But as with any hard thing, it's best to start small and let it build. So my hopes for you, for us, for this church, for this season, are relatively small. That we will let God work that change on us together in little ways. In little acts of thanksgiving, little acts of forgiveness little acts of repentance the late great Frederick Buechner once said that hope stands up to its knees in the past and keeps its eyes on the future in other words hope is rooted in recognizing what we have what has come before with gratitude and looking ahead to what comes next So as we look back and give thanks today and this week for all God has done for us, may we remember and may we hope. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Union Congregational Church and our life together, you can visit our website churchbythepark.org or find us on social media at churchbythepark. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.